0: I want to invite you to take your Bibles and join me in the book of Acts. We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7 this morning. And just again, as a reminder, we are going to hear from the living God. Not just as merely as the words are read, but in the message communicated this morning, God is going to speak to us as he does each Lord's Day, and I pray that we would be ready, listeners. If you are using the, the blue ESV Bibles that you can find in the seatbacks out there, you can find our text on page 917. The title of our sermon is, Too Much of a Good Thing? Question mark. And the keywords for our worshipers in training, so for our children... Who are listening? Listening for words. These actually, the words this week are are pretty easy. Sometimes I realize, like, man, the words. My keywords are insane sometimes. But today, needs, uh, serve, and pray. So, pretty pretty simple ones to listen for. And um, and we're uh, again we're in Acts six. So uh, for the past few weeks, we have been uh, witnessing Luke uh, describe for us various problems that began to grow for the early church. In Acts 3 and 4, we saw the rise of persecution from powerful religious leaders that were connected with the temple system there in Jerusalem. In the opening verses of chapter 5, we saw problems develop from within the church as two communing members lied to God and instantly died as a result. And it produced great fear among uh, among the people, and yet God continued to um, bless his church there, but there were problems and then, as we got on into the end of chapter five, last week, we saw uh, from luke 's hand further increase in the persecution against the church um, in acts uh, four, Peter and John were arrested in Acts five, all of the apostles were arrested and then beaten and charged once more to stop speaking in Jesus' name. They were told, you have filled Jerusalem with this teaching, and you want to bring this man's blood upon us. And so they were beaten and let go. And yet, as I just mentioned a moment ago, in all of this, over and over and over again, we see this refrain or something similar to it. Many of those who heard the word believed and the number of the men in 4:4 or disciples or believers grew it increased right in 5:14 more than ever believers were added to the church to added to the lord multitudes of both men and women even after the arrest and beating of the apostles what we find in our text this morning it says in verse 1 now in these days the disciples were increasing in number And at the end of our passage in verse 7, after the events described here, we see that the Word of God continues to multiply, as did the number of disciples, to include even many of the priests. Jesus had commanded His apostles to spread His fame unto the ends of the earth. They were to begin in Jerusalem, and He was equipping them for that very thing. At this point, it's likely, at this point in Acts 6, that the numbers of the disciples were perhaps too large to even calculate. We're told that in Acts 4-4, there were 5,000 men. And since then, three times since then, Luke tells us that the number has grown greatly. Has grown more than ever in chapter 5. Multiplied greatly in chapter 6. And it's important that we note this because of what God is about to do next in the life of the church, which, Lord willing, we will consider next week in a lengthy passage um, going all the way to Acts chapter 8. The Jerusalem-centered nature of the early church's ministry is about to be blown wide open. And we're going to see that, Lord willing, as I said, with the the ministry, the arrest, and the execution of one of the men that actually is appointed to ministry here in Acts chapter 6. But today, we need to concentrate on the passage before us. And this is what I want you to see. One thing from Acts chapter 6, God meets the needs of his people. Let me read the first seven verses of Acts 6. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. And we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles... And they prayed and laid their hands on them, and the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. And so as we consider this idea of God's provision for the needs of his people, there are three things from this passage to consider. Three movements of these seven verses. First, in verse 1, we're going to identify the problem that arose from within the church as the disciples were increasing in number. Second, in verses 2-6, through we will see the apostles' solution, their wise solution that they propose for this problem. And third, in verse 7, we will see the result um, of this situation in verse 7. So look with me in the first place at verse 1 where we see the problem described by Luke. He says, "It was in these days that the number of the disciples continued to increase." These days is of course a reference to the days described at the very end of chapter 5 in verse 42. And day by day in the temple and from the house and from house to house they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. And so, despite the formal ban that had been placed on evangelism and on gospel preaching and ministry that we saw last week, the apostles continued to remain faithful to God rather than to the commandments of men. And they remained faithful to their commission from Jesus. And the result was that, well, the disciples, those following Jesus, increased. And of course, at a glance, this is a wonderful thing. However, um, in uh, productivity language, there's a principle known as the ringing effect. Uh, And it essentially says that a system or an organization will drastically lose its ability to function properly when it hits about 80% capacity. So, if you think about rush hour traffic, that's why rush hour traffic is so bad. Because, on the one hand, we understand that it might slow down a bit, but it's sort of absurd sometimes how bad the traffic can get. And it's not even necessarily because of a wreck, it's that some guy braking four miles ahead is that braking gets magnified exponentially beyond the capacity of the road system to facilitate. This endless chain of breaking that occurs backward. And so you end up sitting still for no apparent reason. So this is the ringing effect at work. And this is similar to what we see happening here in Acts chapter 6. There were so many people, and therefore so many needs that the church was facing, that the apostles were failing to keep up with it all. And sadly, it leads to... uh, a a favoritism that was being shown to widows who were culturally and linguistically Jewish at the expense of those who were um, speaking Greek. And it led to conflict, right? The Greek-speaking widows, the Hellenists, were complaining against the Hebrew Aramaic-speaking widows. And similar things can happen in the church today, right? Right? In churches today, long, you know, as they grow, long-time members, perhaps, maybe they receive preferential treatment over newer ones. Or people who are more put together, are easier to take care of. They're served more joyfully and consistently than ones who are, quote, harder to love. Now, on the one hand, we want to acknowledge that that type of favoritism here or in the church is inexcusable. But on the other hand, we do recognize that it is a fact of life that in a fallen world, in a finite world, that pastors have limits, elders have limits, that churches have limits. We have a max capacity for what we can do for the number of people and the number the types of needs we can care for. And so there need to be plans in place to serve the people well in order to avoid the crashing halt of the ringing effect in church life as disciples multiply. So that's the problem that began to grow in the church in its early days. The disciples uh, were were multiplying. The number of disciples was growing so rapidly that it, it led to difficult choices that had to be made about who's being cared for and not. And so it led to... Um, a temptation to, of the church to neglect the Greek-speaking widows in favor of those who are more culturally the Jewish ones. Now we see this um, this uh, struggle between uh, Jew and uh, and Hel- the Hellenized world grow in Acts as when we get from eight on as the the gospel moves out of Jerusalem. Um. So the point here isn't necessarily to to really hammer on the a Jew Gentile issue here, but it's it's to see that the church had needs, and because of that, there was uh, a a need for a plan to be in place to take care of them. And so let's look then in the second place at verses two through six, where we see the apostles their their proposed solution to this issue, and the church's response. We're told that the, that the twelve summoned the full number of disciples and said, hey, it's not right that, that we should give up preaching God's Word to serve tables. And so you need to pick out seven men from among you, men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, and we will appoint them to this duty. And what we're going to do is we're going to devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. The apostles, simply put, were being distracted by the growing needs of the church, in particular the growing physical needs of the church. And, of course, this is not to say at all that waiting tables was a bad thing or an unimportant thing, but it was not the best thing that the apostles should have been doing. The disciples, therefore, were called to set forth seven men. And the apostles would give themselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. In an effort to choose the best over the good, they propose this plan of finding and discovering and setting forward seven men to oversee and to work in this ministry of service to meet the growing needs of the church. And so here we see what many have understood to be the introduction of two offices within the church, elders and deacons. Now, it's true and important to note that apostles aren't elders, strictly speaking, and these seven men aren't deacons, strictly speaking. But they do both function as those types of things in a way Right, Apostles are the forerunners of church elders, and the seven are forerunners of deacons. And they help us to understand the nature of each of these respective offices and their job roles. Elders are called to devote themselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. Another way to put it is that elders are called to focus primarily, though not exclusively, on the spiritual needs of God's people. Deacons, whose forerunners are appointed here in Acts 6 to oversee the waiting of tables, are therefore called to devote themselves to the physical needs of God's people. Here's how one author describes the relationship between elders and deacons. Deacons exist so the Word of God can be preached without distraction. They exist to magnify the Word. Deacons serve people's physical needs so that preachers can help meet their eternal needs through the preaching of the word. Since deacons hold an office that is meant to facilitate the preaching of the word, deacons should be diligent students of the word themselves. So deacons are, despite a common misconception, they are not just guys who are handy with a wrench. Deacon is a spiritual office that exists, that exists, to magnify the Word of God. And I think it's it's worth noting here, just as we think about ourselves as people, we are body and soul. The early church, by the wisdom of God and His Spirit, the apostles realized it was not fitting. They couldn't just say, I'm here to care for your soul, and you need to figure the rest out. And who cares about the rest? It was, you have a soul, and you have a body, and you are a soul, and you are a body. And both of these things matter and need provision. And so the church works together as we help each other in both of those respects. And so the apostles set some requirements for these men, these seven men, that they would a point to this proto office, they were to be men of good repute, they were to be full of the Holy Spirit, and they were to be full of wisdom right they, they were men of good repute they had to be known in the community they had to be recognizable their godliness and character and skill set were should have been understood among others, and they they should have been um, graced with a walk with the Lord that people knew about. They had to be born again, full of the Holy Spirit. They had to be set apart for service unto the Lord. And they had to be full of wisdom. They had to have a practical knowledge to solve problems, particularly problems regarding the care, the physical care of this growing community. You know, to make the the point ...about the spiritual nature of the deaconate um, a bit, make this point a bit further. Last summer, we, we looked at 1 Timothy together. And in chapter 3, we saw that deacons were called, uh, in terms of their character, it was essentially the same thing as elders. The main difference between a deacon and an elder is that they, uh, the, a deacon is called to hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience meaning that they understand Scripture, they understand doctrine, but they aren't necessarily particularly gifted or proficient in teaching it to others. And so deacons are theological men. These men here, proto-deacons, they had to be theological men. They had to understand and grasp the doctrine of Christ. They're simply not expected to be teachers of others in any formal sense. They don't exercise the same kind of authority and teaching authority that elders do in managing the household of God. But they do support and facilitate the faithful, undistracted preaching of God's Word. So the apostles tell the church, appoint these men to oversee the work of caring for the physical needs of the people. And it seems good and wise to them to do so. And so they appoint these seven men. Stephen, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, um, uh, Parmenas, and um, Nicholas. And Luke introduces um, these men very briefly. He tells us basically nothing about them. Uh, two of them get a very brief description. Stephen was particularly full of the Holy Spirit. Even more so, it seems, than the others. Um, and, uh, and Nicholas was a proselyte from, from Antioch. And so these men are, are set before the apostles who prayed over them, they laid hands on them, and they commissioned, commissioned them to the work of caring for the physical needs of the saints, both in this particular case, the Greek-speaking and the Aramaic-speaking widows of the church. And so that is the problem. That is the proposed solution Now let's see the result in verse 7. The result is simple. God's Word continued to increase as did the number of disciples in Jerusalem. We're not told exactly how it went in regard to caring for the widows, which is sort of interesting. I think most of us might read it and say, I'd be curious to know, Luke, how that went. But he he doesn't tell us that. What we can conclude from what he says is that it went well if the number continued to increase and he makes no comment about further problems that resulted from it. We assume that this solved the problem. But really, the point of verse 7 isn't to tell us exactly about how it went with the widows, but it was to say clearly that now the undistracted preaching of the apostles made possible the merciful, made possible by the merciful serving of the deacons led to further advances of the Word of God around town. Luke tells us that God's Word increased and the number of disciples multiplied greatly. And more than that, he says that even a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. And in that last phrase there, we are reminded, as we've seen in the weeks past, as the religious leaders were the ones persecuting the church We see the sad state of affairs in Israel at this time. Many of the priests became obedient to the faith. That means that previously, the priests, most if not all, were disobedient to the faith. The apostles' proposal here is obviously full of wisdom. Luke indicates no more significant problems that arose from within the church during this time. And he informs us that it was a suitable solution to the growing needs of the church. And it led to the increase of God's Word and the multiplication of disciples. But I want to I come back to this phrase, obedient to the faith, for a minute. And bring it, bring it in here. Are you obedient to the faith? You know, none of us are, are priests of ancient Israel, Old Testament temple system, I don't think. But the question still stands Are you obedient to the faith? Have you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and committed your life to him as his disciple? Whereby you submit your mind, your desires, and your choices to his lordship through faith and repentance. If that doesn't describe you, I want to encourage you to fly to Jesus Christ and become His disciple. We saw back in chapter 3 there is salvation found in no one else. In no other name. And so I pray that through the preaching of the Word, even this very day, God might be pleased to make Many who are not obedient to the faith. And as we'll see next week, Lord willing, as I've mentioned, the church is about to face a whole new problem. Right? We've, we've seen some growing problems from within the church. Some, you know, some pretty heavy, even, persecution from outside the church. I mean, they, they beat the disciples after leaving them in prison all night. But things are about to get a whole lot worse in one sense. But I want to note here what we see at the end of of, in verse 7 and what this refrain about God adding to His church. God is preparing His church for the next phase of His kingdom building. They've been growing and gathering and witnessing in Jerusalem, but the time is nearly there for them to take the show on the road. And yet, it is not going to happen at all like they would have imagined. You know, when any type of organization thinks of growth, and I think this includes churches, when churches think of growth and expansion, what usually comes to mind? It's, it's usually some desire and expectation that it's positive, it's enjoyable, it's exciting growth. Right? We're bursting at the seams, and so we've got to build a bigger building, or we've got to plant a church, or we've got to do both. And of course, that is exciting. And there, that is, at times, exactly how God's Word goes out. But you're not going to find these early days of expansion that we see, especially as we look at Acts 6, 7, and 8. You're not going to find that in any church planting, church growth, vision casting manual. If you were to have told the disciples here exactly what was coming, hey, you guys remember Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth? Yeah, that, you're here. That's right around the corner. And here's how it's going to happen through unbelievable persecution would that not likely have increased the fear levels rather than the excitement levels of the disciples? And yet, what we see here is that God is preparing His church in advance for this. The scattering of the church that occurs in the very beginning of chapter 8 occurs only after God had increased the number of His disciples over and over again. Perhaps in the, the tens of thousands of disciples at this point. And, not only had he increased the number of disciples, but he had here, in chapter 6, placed appropriate expectations upon church leadership in order for the care of spiritual and physical needs of the people. And, the church needed to understand, especially as the gospel was about to go to the nations, that this care applied equally to Hebrews and Hellenist. So, how do we make some application of this for ourselves? Well, really, it's sort of simple, I think. You know, we're, we're not bursting at the seams presently here at Redeemer Baptist Church, but our community is growing. People are moving to this area. Over the past several years, we have seen consistent, steady growth, both in terms of just attendance on Sunday mornings and also the, the number of our membership. We had a, a great time this weekend, Friday night and Saturday, with several, several of you families coming to spend some time with the elders to go through our membership class. It was so wonderful, and I know a few of you have talked to me about coming to the one in September, and we, we love that. You know, we see the neighborhoods and the warehouses that are being built all over the place here and the people moving in and the traffic problems that we talked about earlier. You know, and I think too, as one of the only, not not the only, but certainly in Effingham, one of the only consciously reformed churches around, I, I think that many people do look to RBC first for a place when they're looking for a church when they come here. And so we have grown. We've grown both in number and in depth, but it it seems wise to expect that they very well may continue to happen. And so that means a few things. And I want to talk about a couple of them now. The first is that we need men devoted to prayer and the ministry of the Word. We need elders. We've got four and we could use some more. And we need men devoted to the ministry of mercy. Deacons, we've got Four, and we could use some more. That won't become a slogan, I promise. So let me make this appeal. Brothers, would you consider whether God is calling you to one of these offices? Look at 1 Timothy 3. Read Titus 1. Read this passage here in Acts 6 and pray. Ask God to bring clarity and conviction regarding this issue. In fact, I want to up the ante a bit here. Full disclosure, there are already a few of you that I am presently praying about right now and have been for at least weeks, if not months, I believe that we have men here who have the character, who have the gifts to serve. Some as elders, some as deacons. And my prayer is that God would grant you and me and the elders and this church the wisdom that we might travel to the same page. So if you have a desire for either of these offices or even if you have questions about them, pray about it and let us know. Now, if that's not you, there's a similar issue that regards all of us that we need to, to consider. Right? The, the apostles only appoint seven men to this proto-diaconal office. We just said there are thousands upon thousands of disciples of the Lord Jesus. That means that there would have had to have been many others, men and women, who functioned as boots-on-the-ground workers in the mercy ministry of the early church. And so even if God is not calling you to the office of elder or deacon, he does call you and me, he calls all of us to a radical generosity toward those who are in need, like we saw a few weeks ago from Acts 4. And this regards both our time and our money, our material resources, right? The needs of Redeemer Baptist Church and the needs of our wider community in Effingham County and the surrounding counties as well, we they are going to continue to grow as people move to this area. And we need to be a people marked by a radical generosity that overflows from gratitude toward God. And so do you have gifts and talents and skills and financial resources that you are not using for the kingdom of God and for the care of his citizens? Let's work together to figure out how you might do so. Do you give sacrificially, both of your money and your time, or do you struggle to maintain a balanced schedule, a balanced budget, and so you can't do those things, or you think you can't do those things? Well, I want to encourage you, let's let's grow in those areas together and find a way to be Truly sacrificial. Excuses only get us so far. But let's give of ourselves our time and our possessions. And just to be clear, like, I think we do this well. But the call still remains upon us to, to ask Am I doing these things? And lastly, pray. Pray. You might not have a dime to give, but you can pray. Would you join me in praying that God would raise up servant leaders among us to care for His people, to glorify His name? You know, this past week, we had a time of prayer and fasting for this very sermon. And for everyone who said they were doing it, even those who didn't tell me they were doing it, I'm so grateful for the time we spent together Praying for this. And I I hope to see that to become a more regular part of life here at RBC that we are praying together regularly, even if we can't always meet together physically. We can commit to pray. And so as we work through the the summer months here, especially, as our needs grow and people tend to move in the summer, and so we'll we'll see if I'm right or wrong in a few months. But let's pray, even find a time of weekly prayer and fasting to ask God to provide us with capable, godly, humble servants, elders and deacons. And um, to be clear as well, we need uh, even, not elders and deacons, we need uh, women and other members of the church who are servants. And I thank God for each and every one of you who are and pray that we continue to grow in that area. So here's the deal. God is working in the world, and He's working here at Redeemer Baptist Church. He's working in our wider community. So the question for us is are we preparing ourselves to be ready for whatever it is God is planning to do among us? Let me close with these words. I sent them out in an email this week, or, or not an email, I just I think I mentioned it in the Faith Life channel. John Newton, he penned his hymn, Come, my soul, thy suit prepare. He says, Come, my soul, thy suit prepare. Jesus loves to answer prayer. He Himself has bid thee pray. Rise and ask without delay. Thou art coming to a king. Large petitions with thee bring. For His grace and power are such none can ever ask too much do you believe that do you believe that when you pray you are coming to a king who loves to answer your prayers who has bid you to pray whose grace and power are so significant so strong so indomitable that there is no such thing as too big a prayer So let us pray. Let us pray bigger than we have ever thought possible for how God will knit us together, strengthen our hearts, and give us faith to grow and to be a healthy church who loves Christ and loves our neighbors as ourselves. Let us pray and may God be pleased to do whatever He will with our request.